0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Özil.
2: Marca Mesut Özil. After three months out, you can see he's a little bit rusty, but football plays it down the wing to football. He crosses it. There's football. He's football to football. Oh, yes. This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, guess what? What? Goodly Goodly morning.
1: Goodly morning. Goodly morning, indeed.
2: Do you want me to explain why it's a goodly morning? I mean, because football's back, maybe? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Look, leaving aside what a big bag of shit last night was from an Arsenal perspective, for all kinds of reasons that we are going to delve into on this podcast, we have football... And football-related things to talk about again after three months where we've just sort of had to make stuff up and just deal with the bits and pieces, the the sort of uh, tiny little nuggets of football information that we have. Football was back in, uh, like, it was full-on Arsenal again last night. I didn't enjoy much of it, I have to say, but I enjoy the fact that this morning we can get into it. I think I sent you a, a message last night before before kickoff. When, the, when we got the squad and there was no Mesut Ozil again, you know, this is something we'll talk about. And I sent you a message saying something along the lines of, we haven't even kicked a ball yet and we've still, we've got like loads to talk about. Uh, <laughs> and then all that stuff happened on the pitch. So here we are. It's all, it's all feeling quite goodly to me from that perspective anyway.
1: Yeah, it, look, it was good to have football back. Did you even, did you venture as far as watching Aston Villa versus Sheffield United?
2: I was cooking uh, in the kitchen, so I had it on the, the tablet in the kitchen. I was sort of half watching it and, you know, enjoyed, really enjoyed the uh, the Hawkeye slash VAR shenanigans that went sure. on. That was That was an amazing piece of football, whatever you want to call it, just... Banter, whatever the fuck, Uh, a mess. I don't know, but you know.
1: My my favorite aspects of that was the the information that the referees watch buzzed during half time to tell him it was a girl.
2: Yeah, or or did that did it not come out that uh, they 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 buzzed it to test it to see if it was working, and it Uh. did buzz or something. I can I don't know the ins and outs of it, but what a fucking disaster from a from a Sheffield United point of view. Um, you know what if that what if that moment costs them a place in in Europe next season? Yeah,
1: well, I mean, Sheffield United it was who fell foul of the whole Carlos Tevez yeah. mess and ended up in the courts of arbitration and all sorts. And I, I mean, who knows? It could it could go the same way. I mean, a massive decision and probably the only interesting thing in that game, as far as I could tell.
2: Yeah, they didn't seem to uh, to have a great deal going for it, whereas. Manchester City versus Arsenal. The
1: circus is in town. <laughs> uh,
2: look, where do we even start? The Ozil stuff. I think we can do later, right? Um, okay. We've got some questions. Yeah, his, about he was that.
1: somewhat overshadowed, wasn't it? His his thunder was stolen. Unbelievable by a certain, a a
2: half. Yeah, unbelievable though. That you know all, all the stuff that's been going on in the world, and all of a sudden. All the focus from an Arsenal fan's point of view, of course, is back on, on Mesut Ozil and he's not in the squad and why he's not in the squad. I mean, nine subs, and you can use five and he's not in the squad for tactical reasons. <clears throat> OK, right. We will discuss that a bit later on. I'm sure we have a question or two about that. But let's talk about the team that Mikel Arteta did pick. Um, yeah. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that? Because, you know, the, the omission of Ozil is, is one thing, but there were, other, um, there were other things that we can look at. You know, Pablo Marie at centre-half. Uh, we have Bakayo Saka starting on the right-hand side. Uh, Eddie Nketiah starting up front. Joe Willock starting in midfield. Um, what were your thoughts on that lineup, and, and what were potentially Arteta's thoughts or plans based on that?
1: Yeah, look, it was a... I I saw a lot of predicted teams doing the rounds before this game and I don't think I saw any that got it right. (laughs) Which tells you that it was a very bold selection. I mean, my first takeaway from it was, it's a young team. It's a really young Mm. team. And maybe that was a factor in the selection. I think there is a possibility that Arteta looked looked at it, looked at how little preparation Arsenal had had and thought... I'm going to go with people who I think are young, who I think are fit, who might have the legs we might need if we don't get the ball off Manchester City, which is how it kind of panned out. But I also couldn't help but look at it and think, it's bad news for Alex Lacazette to be behind Eddie Nketiah there. It's bad news for Nicola Pepe to be behind Bukayo Saka. And there were a couple of others like that. You know, even Gendouzi alongside Shaka, you think, well, he could have gone with Sabahs, but there's a bit of a cloud over his head. And, and maybe, you know, some of the players whose future is in question played into their selection. So Baris not starting and David Luiz, of course, uh, not starting. Although he did replace him with Pablo Marie, who's not exactly a cert to be here in the future either. So, yeah, I mean, it was a really bold selection, one that had one eye on the future and one that incurred an element of risk, certainly. I mean, what yeah. was your response to
2: it? Yeah, it was pretty similar in that, you know, he he is, I think looking to the future. I take what you mean about Pablo Marie. We haven't seen anywhere near enough of him to make a decision about whether he's going to be good enough or not. Um, yeah. But you know he's 26 years of age so he represents something of a future david louise 33 years of age with everything that's gone on certainly does not you know so that played into that i mean i i i completely agree with you about pepe and i agree with you about like i said it doesn't augur well for for their futures um based on the the team selection and i just you know i have to say that uh, this isn't a game that i thought we were going to win it's a game i thought yeah. we would lose um It's a game I expected us to lose. And the fact that we lost... Uh, you know, of course it's frustrating and the circumstances in which it happened lead to these talking points and these sort of um, emotions rising up. But, you know, stepping back from it, you know, this isn't a game which, uh, you know, really has wounded me in any way. If anything, it has simply just reinforced some of the things that we already knew um, and we can come back to those. The other thing I, I think it's fair to say is that Losing Granit Xhaka, who's one of our most experienced players, after three or four minutes was um, was unfortunate and probably uh, had a significant impact um, on the way that we, you know, we were set up or what Arteta's plans were. And similarly, losing Pablo Marie to injury after about twenty minutes. So when you lose two players to injury in the opening twenty minutes, playing against a team as good as Man City. Uh, In the circumstances in which we're playing them, you know, coming off this three month break because of COVID-19, you know, the fitness issues and, and sharpness and all of that kind of stuff against a team that is much, much better than you anyway. You know, whether you've got this sort of um, equalization of, of fitness and everything else, City are just better than we are. There's a, you know, we can all see that. We all know that the, the, the gap between us and them is huge. So, you know, with all those circumstances and with everything that went on in the game, you know, I'm not losing my reason over, over last night's result. But it does sort of tell me uh, or reinforce some things that, that we already knew.
1: Yeah, look, I I think given everything that's gone on, it's impossible to not return to football with a sense of perspective, right? And I think most Arsenal fans really are able to put this result in perspective. We were playing against a team who are a lot better than us. I mean, some of the players they've got in that team, you know, I don't want to spend too long eulogising it, but a guy like Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, we've not Mm. got anyone close to that level and that was pretty evident, I thought. Yeah. During the game, um, you he, make a good point. Go on. Oh, sorry, go
2: on. I was just going to say, even David Silva, you know, winding down is yeah, yeah, sort of on a different level.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right, and I think uh, we were we were never really particularly likely to get anything there, but you know, the injuries certainly didn't help. I mean, our best period was probably the opening ten, fifteen minutes or so, and then after that, it just seemed like we didn't get. We didn't progress the ball, really. We didn't get our attacking players into the game whatsoever. I mean, Bamiang Willock, Saka, we just didn't really see those guys. And I actually think probably the loss of Saka was was fairly important in that respect, in that he's a, he's kind of key to us moving the ball up the pitch. Uh, and he just wasn't there. I yeah. think Spice did okay. But, you know... Uh,
2: Shaq is a bit more structural, isn't he? You know, Ceballos likes to yeah. flit around and he likes to sort of go where the ball is and, and, and what have you where Shaka just gives you a little bit of, of um, balance in that midfield, particularly alongside Genduzi, who's a bit sort of all over the place in, in terms of the way that he plays too.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I had someone who doesn't is not an Arsenal regular watcher text me and say, sort of, where is Gunduzi playing? Is he playing number ten kind mm. of thing? And I was like, no, he just he just runs around a <laughs> lot, um, and that is his style. And actually, I thought he had a pretty decent first half, and he had a pretty good performance against Man City. They had to had I think it was last season, um, but he just got overrun. And I think the other thing I was going to say, what was I going to say? The defending, the passing. I don't know. I think that was kind of it. Oh, that was it. Arteta's team shape, it was a little bit different, really, to what we've seen, you know, it, it, previously on Arsenal, as they say.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Notice that, all right. Previously yeah. on Arsenal. Huh. I wonder where that came from.
1: <laughs> Where's our 10%? I don't know.
2: <laughs> but... It's gone into, uh, yeah, never mind. I was going to say something there.
1: <laughs> Someone's got it. Mr. 10% has got it. mister 10
2: someone has got it, yeah.
1: I, uh, you know, but there was a very clear sort of pattern to Arsenal's play, and you know, some felt it was a bit predictable. But it was kind of this lopsided attack that was reliant on Bukayo Saka overlapping, and you know, we didn't necessarily see that, and um, partly because Saka went off and didn't drop in. I, I guess we don't know if we would have done. But this was a more conventional four-two-three-one to my mind, and part of that convention was having a conventional left back here in Tierney. In the, yeah. And I think if you're looking for positives from the night, I thought his performance was actually really pretty good, especially before he had to fill in at centre-half. And the fact that he came through unscathed in a game in which you know certain other players didn't uh, that is a piece of good news for Arsenal.
2: yeah, yeah, look, and I think if you are looking for positives from last night, there were some in the sense that Bellerin and Tierney did ninety minutes each after struggling you know with injury for most of the season, so mm. that 's a positive thing, uh, you know, assuming that they don 't feel the effects of that too much for for Saturday against Brighton, burned Leno. Look, a a brilliant shot stopper made some incredible saves last night. The flip side of that, of course, is that when your goalkeeper is that busy, you've got problems. Um, And I just thought as well that there were one or two moments within the opening 15, 20, maybe 25 minutes um, where potentially we could have caused City some problems with the right pass. There was one with Kieran Tierney, I think, where... Maybe it was just his body shape wasn 't quite right to play the ball in behind for obamiang i 'd have to watch it again just to just to double check that, but that felt like if the right pass was on or maybe if Tierney was you know three or four or five games into you know this period you 're just that little bit more sharp you 're a little bit more aware you can see things that um you know perhaps you don 't see when you 're playing your first game for for over three months for Tierney, what is it his first game since November, or something, or when mm-hmm. did he do his injury? It, it, you know, um, it was before time, Christmas, yeah. you know, so that was his first game for, for over six months. You know, so I I can excuse him there, but I, I just think there were a couple of moments where perhaps if we'd been sharper, we might have caused City some problems. Some uh, and Keddie had a half chance, didn't he, early on and put it wide. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't think it was really um, anything more than a half chance, but there were just some movements and some uh, you know some bits and pieces that we could take positives from. But then I think the the injury to Pablo Marie had a pretty significant effect on on the team because. You know, I saw David Luiz come on and uh, I'm not going to say my heart sank, but I feel like we play differently with Luiz on the pitch. You know, that if we are a little bit afraid of what he might do, I wonder, is that the same, uh, you know, as his teammates? And it looked to me and I could be wrong here and I didn't look at heat maps or anything like it. The arrival of Louise coincided with Arsenal sitting a bit more deep. Therefore, City were able to exert a lot more pressure. They had that spelled, didn't they? You know, between the half-hour mark and half-time where, where I was thinking, well, fuck, if we can just get to half-time, if we just get to half-time and yeah. don't concede a goal, this is something Arteta can address at the break because we really need to because we are under an awful lot of pressure against, you know, a, a very good team. Um, as it happened, we didn't get to half-time
1: yeah no i think I think you 're right. The injuries played a massive part in uh, kind of changing the game, particularly in the introduction of Louise. It was interesting, actually, I was texting a couple of physio people last night, and they were sort of saying that these injuries weren 't necessarily ones that you would expect off the back of the layoff. Do you know what I mean that these weren 't the kind of mm. muscular things that we expected to get. They were both a bit unfortunate in that they kind of were twists or came after collisions. So Arsenal were pretty unlucky in that respect. Um, yeah, I think Louise coming on did change things. And, and I, I think that really, if he wasn't picked, we know and we've spoken so many times. And to be fair, Mikel Arteta kind of made it clear last night to an extent how highly he thinks of David Luiz. <laughs> um uh, but he does, though, doesn't he? And well, we talked about it a week ago. I think you and I said, I, I'm really conscious that we shouldn't be hypocritical because a week ago we were yeah, saying yeah. if you've got to keep one of Louise, Mustafi, Socrates, yeah. you probably keep Louise.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I think it's easy to flip on it and be like, oh, yeah, we've always said his shit, but we, no, you no, and I no. haven't.
2: No, that's true. That's true. And I think under Arteta, he was improved. But, you know, I think last night was. I don't know what last night was. That was a return to the David Luiz... I was going to say David Luiz of old, but the David mm. Luiz we saw under Unai Emery, if you like. Uh, and but
1: again- that is always going to happen, isn't it? Like, David Luiz is going to give you... Well, previously, about 10 good games, then one bad one. Previously the on David Luiz. The problem at Arsenal is there are less... The, the the ratio of mistakes at Arsenal from Louise is much much mm. much higher. Well,
2: does that not suggest you know that despite what we said last week, the evidence is telling us that this is a player because of his age and the period he's in in his career, he's in very sharp decline. You know, very
1: possibly, very is possibly. Is
2: that not a possibility in that he's conceded four penalties uh, at Arsenal this season? He has been sent off twice. Uh, and you could argue maybe on both occasions he was a little bit unlucky. I mean, the the foul um, on Mares was probably a foul, but you know there was one on Enkedia, which was quite similar. Mm. Um, up the other end of the pitch, which wasn't even given as a free kick. You know and I'm not trying to excuse Luiz or anything like it, you know, the way he defends lends itself to referees making those kind of decisions and they're making them more and more and they're penalizing him more and more. You know, the the, the defending at times this season has been crazy. But I wonder, James, what what's your thoughts on if Mikel Arteta thinks highly of David Luiz, does it say more about David Luiz mm. or the options Mikel Arteta feels he has available to him at centre-half right now? Uh,
1: I think it says more about the latter, but I also think it raises an interesting question as to, given that he thinks so highly of him, why didn't he play him? And I think that Mm. that opens up a whole other conversation about David Luiz's current situation. And I think that is really interesting. You know, L- Louise's interview after the game, whatever you may think of it, and he did slightly throw those above him under the bus there, um, which I'm sure certain people won't have minded. But I, I think. I-, I-, I think of Alex Oxlade Chamberlain's weird, 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 awful performance at Liverpool. And I kind of think why. What is Louise in a sort of very odd situation where he literally doesn't know if he's at Arsenal for two weeks, two months, or twelve months? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, And and you know, I know that doesn't excuse his mistakes, and I know he's made plenty of mistakes when he's not been in that contractual situation. But my hunch is that that uncertainty is a big factor in why he didn't start the game. And I don't think he's someone, you know, we know concentration is an issue for him. He's not someone, I think part of the reason you probably felt so sick to your stomach when he was coming on is because he's not someone you imagine Mm. picking up the pace of a game and immediately attuning to Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
2: sure. But he's also 33 years of age, hugely experienced. You know he should be able to compartmentalize what 's going on off the pitch in terms of his contract in terms of his future, like you know it can 't be that much of a, a a worry for him you know that that in the context of a game of football, his mind is wondering, oh my goodness what 's going to happen with my with my contract here? Where am I going to be playing football you know you 've got to kind of live in the moment when you 're a player you know you don 't think about. That sort of stuff, and I thought the interview afterwards was was quite strange. You know, to be going on about his his contract and the decisions that he was making. I have the quotes here. Let me see if I can just dig them up because they're worth. Um, I mean, he, he he he. Some people will say, "Look, he was good. He fronted up. He took the blame for the defeat, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. But then he sort of was going on about his contract a bit. You know, I should have taken a different decision in the last two months and I didn't. It's about my contract. If I stay here or not, I have 14 days left to be here and that's it. So today was my fault. And when he was asked, you know, if he wanted to stay or what sort of decision he should have made, he said a different decision uh, to decide, to try and decide my future, to try and decide as early as possible. But I didn't. I don't want to use that as an alibi or, or an excuse. It's my fault and that's it. You know, it's. Um, mm, mm.
1: I, I mean, it's pretty difficult to unpick. I think, isn't it? What,
2: what do you think? What do you think the the situation is? Do you think it's a case that Arteta wants to keep him, but on high they're saying this is too expensive. We can't give him another twelve months. You know, even based on what he's doing on the pitch, we can't really commit to this guy for another twelve months. You know, is Luis, You know, is he happy enough here? Does he want to stay? Uh, you know. If there's a decision to be made, what is the decision? What is the decision that that he didn't make, you know, that he could have made? Is it to go to another club? Did he have another offer? You know, what What do you think is going on?
1: I think that, Ars- well, I think that Louise and his representatives were quite content with Arsenal saying that they weren't going to talk about these contract issues until they had a greater sense of financial perspective. Mm. You know, in the midst of, really, this ought to have been negotiated kind of when coronavirus was sort of at its peak as a crisis. People didn't know how long it would be going on, if football was coming back, what the financial ramifications would be. And so I think that Louise and Drabchin probably were quite happy to let Arsenal kind of knock it down the line and think, well, look, we'll get to this conversation. I don't think they envisaged the conversations being dragged out quite as long as they have. And they're not the only ones. You know, it's also Danny Ceballos in this position. It's also uh, Pablo So Marie, yeah. Cedric. There are four players who do not know if they're at Arsenal for two weeks or the remainder of the season uh, or beyond that and you know Arsenal I, I suppose are having to look at the economics you know they're having to look at the numbers and say maybe we can't justify this even if Arteta likes Luiz you know how much does he like Luiz mm. does he like Luiz enough that it means he can't bring in a player this summer for example
2: yeah I mean, where where do we go with that then? I mean, do we just sort of say, well, look, this is an unfortunate side effect of the consequences uh, or the circumstances that we're dealing with with COVID-19, with the football lockdown, with nobody really knowing when football was coming back, although we have known for for, what, about a month at least that that this game was going to be taking place on this date. And therefore, there needed to be some clarity regarding the futures of some of the players who are in this position. Luis Suarez, uh, Marie, and um, uh, Ceballos. So, I mean, is it a failure of... Uh, those on high to sort these situations out? Or is it simply a case that these are really complicated, difficult situations that nobody's had to deal with before? And therefore we have to give, you know, give the people who should be sorting this out a little bit of a pass. I mean, where do you stand on that?
1: I think, of course, it's a little bit of both. I think the, the situation with Arsenal, I think, is kind of trickier because there are also contracts like Pierre-Emerick like Makaya mm. Saka that might have an impact on the financial situation. You know, you might be looking at the 200 grand that's currently allocated David Lu- to David Luiz and thinking, could that be reallocated elsewhere? So, although we talk about four players, there are really six major issues on the table, I would say, uh, at a minimum. And, uh, you know, of course, it would be better if Arsenal had sorted that out sooner. I think I think the bigger question that I'll be asked to the people above Arteta... Is I understand your exasperation with David Louise, absolutely. But every single person in football knew absolutely who David Louise was when Arsenal signed him. Uh-huh. Like, we knew. Now he he listen, he is making mistakes at a higher rate at Arsenal than he did at Chelsea, okay? I think that uh I saw great numbers about it, which is like Oh, yeah, a red card every 160 games with Chelsea, it's every 13 games with Arsenal. A penalty every 53 games with Chelsea, once every six and a half games with Arsenal. And listen, I think that that is down to two things. I think it is David Luiz, you know, being at the tail end of his career and dropping off significantly. I also think we've seen a lot of defenders come into this Arsenal team, this Arsenal squad, and look worse than they did previously. There are still big structural issues in this team that affects centre-halves dramatically but nonetheless when we lost Koscielny everybody knew that David Luiz was not the same sort of defender and everybody knew he would make mistakes that once every whether it's six games or ten games or twenty games his head's gonna go and he's gonna implode and that's just what he does I, I am frustrated but I can only be so frustrated with him because he is 33 he's been doing this his whole career, and we knew that, and we chose him. So I think, that's, I think that's where the questions should be asked, really.
2: So it's sort of like buying a snake and leaving yeah. it in a room with your children and then castigating the snake when he eats one of them.
1: And the snake is a really nice... Snake. It's it's seemingly the friendliest snake. It's always doing press conferences and interviews. Everyone loves the snake. Going to Rwanda and shaking hands and doing photos. And, you know, it's kind of... Everyone loves the snake. The snake's always smiling at the training ground. But at the end of the day, the snake will eat your children. Yeah. By the way, I'd suggest that uh, in the Louise entourage, it's not David that's the snake. But I think... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Nonetheless,
2: point. No point again.
1: Not pointing any fingers, but I think that, um, yeah, look, I, I think that's where you have to ask. And there's been a lot of chat about the the money involved in signing David Luiz and the money involved in re-signing David Luiz. Mm. And I guess, I mean, looking on the brightest of sides, if Arsenal don't re-sign David Luiz maybe they've learned a lesson there maybe
2: yeah i mean i think you you make a really good point and the wider point of course is squad building and recruitment and dealing with um you know uh, putting together a a a squad that can be competitive and what we did i think on the last podcast you know we we had a bit of a laugh about it where we said look look at all these central defenders we have but what is the partnership how do you make it work yeah. and then we said look at midfield You know, what is the, what is the way to make that work in terms of the personnel that we've got? And then you look at what we've got up front and you look at the question marks over, uh, question mark over Aubameyang. Question mark over Lacazette. Question mark over Pepe. Question mark over Inkedia, And I don't mean it in a bad way, but just he's at the beginning of his career, so there are things mm-hmm. for him to answer. Question mark over Saka and his future. Question, did I say Pepe already? I mean, seventy-two million pounds yeah. for Pepe. You know, uh, we talk about squad building. Unai Emery wanted, uh, you know, a left-footed Premier League ready winger, and Arsenal went. Or, or uh, a left-sided um, Premier League ready winger, and Arsenal. Went out and bought a right-sided non Premier League uh, winger for uh, an extraordinary amount of money. Gabriel Martinelli, huge talent, but like you know, still in the very early stages of his career. Reese Nelson, you know. So there are all these questions. Not like there aren't options and there aren't solutions, but when you look at the squad overall and how it's been constructed and deconstructed as well over the last eighteen to twenty-four months, mm. I think there is where we have to look. Those are, you know, the bells should be ringing there and, and people have individual responsibility, managers and coaches and all that kind of stuff. But I think we have to look a bit more, um, organically at, at, you know, who is in charge of putting this squad together and have they done a good job? And you look at where we are right now and Shkodran Mustafi is our. Best available central defender <laughs>
1: really stuck in your throat there really stuck
2: no in your well, I, I was just trying to think of the right way to say it because you know Socrates is injured, Luis is going to be suspended for a couple of games uh, you know i uh, holding didn 't make the squat didn 't Rob the any man squat and he 's not injured no, so you know there are there are so many questions over how this group of players uh, has been put together, and I think you know my big takeaway from all of this you know, from this one game and and all the questions that it has raised. And as I said, you know, there isn't much that we have uh, learned that's new, but it has reinforced things. My takeaway is it's time to wipe the slate clean and really start again. And and I assume you read the interview, um, the bits and pieces of the interview from um, Steve Round, uh, Arteta's assistant. And he talked about, changing the culture at Arsenal, right? Yeah. He wants to instill this new culture. And you can see that there are players who do not fit, do not Mm. fit into that culture. And now when things are the way that they are in football, with things the way that they are at Arsenal, now is the time to make those changes happen. And it might cost us in the short term, both financially and perhaps on the pitch, but the sooner we make those changes and the sooner arteta can implement this culture that he wants which i think is um more in line with what we would all like to see from arsenal the sooner we start that process the sooner we can start to close the gap to you know the gap is huge to man city and 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 liverpool and and everything else we all know that but the way we can close that gap is by winning the games against Brighton winning the games against Wolves winning those games the sort of bread and butter of the Premier League and what he needs are players who will buy into what he wants and those that don't or won't or can't have got to go start all over start all over now is the time
1: yeah I was chatting off the game with Amy Lawrence and a couple of other guys from the Athletic and I forget who said it but somebody said and they weren't an Arsenal fan I don't think they said Arsenal can't move on until certain players move on. Mm, absolutely. And that that is the case. And and in that and in that sense, I do wonder if you know, we can lament the uncertainty and not knowing what's happening with all these players and where their future lies. But maybe we should also embrace it maybe we should see it as well i mean as clive on the arsenal vision podcast has been saying for many years blow it up and maybe we are at sort of detonation point right about now and maybe the crisis that has enveloped football and all those things you know maybe that provides a natural exclamation point for the the demolishment of this squad to really begin i don't know
2: yeah it does, because like football has never experienced a period like this where everything is in this kind of state of chaos, you know, because of what's happened. And Arsenal have, it's been many years since Arsenal have been at the kind of low we were at in terms of our football performance and our football, uh, you know, where we were in the Premier League, results, confidence, belief, connection with the fans and the club and all those kind of things. Like it hadn't been that low for decades for decades. Mm. And Arteta's come in and he's trying to do a job and he's trying to fix it up and Look, if people want to draw parallels between KSE's 100% ownership of the club and, and our football performance under the current head of football and, and think maybe these guys aren't quite the guys to be running our football club, I can see how that happens. But if there's ever an opportunity to sort of say, look, fuck it, this hasn't worked. We did this. It didn't work. We've got to move on. We've got to start a new start afresh. Now is the time. You know? Yeah. And that's uh, not that's not based on James, that's not based on what we saw last night. Because no. you know, losing to Man City, everybody and their mother expected us to lose to Man City last night. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's yeah. this isn't a shock, it's not a shock result, it's not a shock performance. This is just a consequence of everything that's that's happened up until now. Um, including the, the, the COVID nineteen thing. So just go again. Go again.
1: Yeah, I think we are in that place. I think we are in that place. And sort of what I kind of took away from last night partly was, OK, you know, all, for all the talk of Champions League or all the talk of European qualification, I don't even think that just pursuing that relentlessly in the short term is really the right thing yeah. for Arsenal to do.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the ambition is perfect. To get mm. back into the Champions League, Perfect. You know, to ultimately create a team and, and build a club that can challenge for the Premier League title. Those ambitions, there's nothing wrong with those, but we've got to be realistic about where we are, how long it's going to take us to get there, and how we're going to get there. Short term fixes will not do anymore. No, they just we
1: tried won. so many short-term fixes. I mean, Louise is, is the most obvious and, in some ways, the most egregious. But I would argue there are others. You know, Socrates was kind of the same. You know, another example of a player who was brought in older. You know, and we thought, right, hopefully we can just get back into the Champions League. Unai Emory, I think, was in some ways the ultimate short-term fix. Here's yeah. a guy with a track record of. Winning the Europa League, you know, getting teams into the top four, or whatever. Mm. Let's go for him. We'll be back in there, and then we'll then we'll figure out what we're going to do. Yeah, it, it, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work. We can't. We haven't been able to buy our way back in for various for various reasons. Yeah. We haven't bought the right people necessarily, but now we have to build something. And you know, Mikel Arteta, I think, was really hurting last night. If you watched his post match interview, yeah. It, He was really not happy. I think he was embarrassed because he was going back to Manchester City, you know, against his mentor. He knows that team inside out. I think he would have really wanted to make an impression. You know, maybe he'd be realistic too, but I think he wanted to make an impression. And I think it would have stung his pride that he didn't. But for all my concerns about the club... I do think, you talk about the creation of a new culture, and I really do think they have a coach who is capable of that, actually. If he's given the appropriate authority and the appropriate backing. And time. Exactly. And time.
2: Exactly. I mean, I think you're absolutely right there. Given the authority and given the backing and given the support that is needed to do a job like this, you know, it's easy to get a plasterer in. It's much more difficult to get somebody in to sort of relay the foundations, if you like. Mm-hmm. So he does need and, and uh, you know, if we want to get back to where we, we uh, hope this football club can be, you know, I like I said to you the other day, I haven't listened to an Arteta interview or read anything that he said that I have found... Um, unreasonable or, or completely egregious or anything yeah. like that. Pretty much everything he says, I'm on board with, you know, because he sounds like a guy who has high standards, who expects high standards from Arsenal, who wants Arsenal to be at the top level and wants people with him who are prepared to make that happen. Mm. And we think immediately about the people that are on the pitch in that regard, but it, it works internally as well. Like, we need Absolutely. the people inside the club who are held to those standards as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and I think if he can, he will push people and hold people to those standards. Mm. Um, I mean, it was really interesting. We did a big profile on him in The Athletic. You probably read it all over Twitter.
2: <laughs> I actually, yeah.
1: <laughs> but um, no, it was, it, it, it was fascinating because... Uh, the feedback was generally great, but there were a couple of people who were like, I mean, this is, you know, where's the where's the dissenting voices here? Where are the people who don't, within the club, who don't rate Arteta, who don't think he's doing a good job? And the honest God truth is talking to, you know, multiple, multiple, multiple sources. There aren't really any. Everybody is so impressed by this guy. And where the criticism comes from and where the analysis comes from is from Arteta himself and his coaching staff who know they've not done anything yet, who know Mm. this isn't good enough and who know the results aren't where they want them to be and who are intensely self-critical and intensely self-analytical. And, and that is the kind of character he is. You know, he will be acutely aware after last night of how far away yeah. Arsenal are. Yeah. And I think less than in more so than in any transfer window we've seen in the last few years, I don't think we can afford the quick fix solution. I don't think Thomas Party's a lovely idea. I don't think it's gonna happen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think we're gonna go and buy four fifty million pound players to transform this team mm. I might be wrong but I really I really strongly don't think that so yeah. so we have to start a project and that was the message that I took from going back to right to the start Arteta's team selection saying look this is a long term thing some of these kids are going to develop and be the right guys some probably aren't that's mm. just the way it works but we have to move on from what hasn't been
2: working. Mm. There is one thing that we, you know, obviously uh, have to discuss when we talk about moving on. But we will do that in part two. Mikel Arteta says, you know, uh, afterwards, I want to delete this game from the hard drive, is, <laughs> is what he said. I, I think that's fair. Um, unless you have something else on the game itself that you think we can take away from the performance, the result, the team selection or anything else, we should, we should go to part two.
1: Yeah, just just on that thing I suppose deleting it. I think it is worth it's worth us all sort of bearing that in mind. I mean Arsenal started before most Premier League teams with less preparation. I think most teams will have played more friendly games by the time they play their first Premier League game. In a way, I think it is going to be possible for us to compartmentalize this match as mm. as disappointing as it was. And I do think that, you know, Brighton on Saturday It's a run of four away games back to back, which isn't necessarily ideal. But I think that feels like a much more uh, appealing fixture for this Arsenal team. And hopefully we can kind of restart the season there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like the excitement for football being back was very much tempered by the fact it was Man City. You know, Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Because it was so difficult. You knew it was going to be so difficult. So the excitement that you felt about football coming back was offset by the knowledge or at least the the feeling that we were going to get beaten, you know? And there's not much to enjoy about being beaten, uh, regardless of how how well you can look at the, uh, you know, the quality of another team. So I do think Brighton on Saturday is a more appealing prospect and certainly a game from which I think um, we might be able to learn more about the future um, as opposed to the things that we know we have to move away from, so... So let's see. Um, Okay, we'll take a break. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
2: Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at ArseBlog. Also on the ArseBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Um, James, you're going to the game on Saturday at Brighton. I am. Um, you know, what's what's the situation from your point of view? Because obviously we saw an empty stadium last night. We saw um, some journalists and we saw some reporters and everything else. But, you know, there must be protocols if they're trying to uh, maintain this kind of uh, clean environment, if you like.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I know, for example, I have to wear... A uh, face covering at all times. Mm. I believe I have to fill out a medical questionnaire before I attend. And I think they may even take temperatures uh, of people mm. at Stump Stadiums before they go in, just to make sure that, obviously, that they're not uh, unwell. Mm. So it's, it's there are, are there also, like, hand-washing stations, uh, I think, scattered throughout stadiums to kind of, keep up the safety protocols. It will be a really strange experience and uh yeah, I just felt like it was mm. important to experience it and sort of try and gain an insight <laughs> of what it's like to be at these games. If you're lucky enough to be afforded that chance and you yeah. feel it's safe to do so, then you gotta take it. But uh I am kind of I think it would be wrong to say I'm looking forward to it. I'm very curious about what it will be like, yeah. but I'm not sure how easy it will be to enjoy it. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. I mean, just before we go on with the questions, what were your thoughts on experiencing an Arsenal game yeah. in the, the current climate? Because, you know, we've talked before about fake crowd noise, and I think I was watching on one of the Sky Sports channels where they, they, they had that on, and I was thinking, I thought this was optional, but there's two Sky Sports two, yeah. f- football channels. So I'd switched it over to the other one um, without the crowd noise, um, I mean, it is it is weird, isn't it? I mean, I was interested. Obviously, I was invested in the game, and and you know, as an Arsenal fan, uh, you know, I'm I'm much more into uh, you, you're watching what's going on than uh, with other teams. But it still felt. I don't know if it was just because because of the game that it was against City and everything else. Um, mm. It felt like something was really, really badly missing and of course it was you know the the, the atmosphere of the fans the supporters of both teams and and you know what that brings to the game I think is immeasurable
1: yeah I mean I, I had the crowd noise on for the Villa game and uh, you know I, I thought it was done relatively well I mean there were a few teething problems but for Arsenal I went without it and I don't know if you've you identified this at all but in a funny sort of way it kind of made me a bit less about the game. Like, you know, the the stakes seemed lower than they ordinarily do in a Premier League game. And I think, weirdly, it's kind of played into me being relatively sanguine about the result, is that, you know, maybe it's just that it kind of felt a bit like a sort of strange, friendly being played in a foreign country or Mm. something. And so, subsequently, I didn't necessarily attach as much importance to it. I also felt early on, in a curious way, like it might be helping some of our players I sort of thought well you know the crowd aren't on their back when City go forward it's not sort of amplified the tempo isn't kicked up by the by the crowd I mean what became clear as the half wore on is that City were perfectly capable of turning up the tempo themselves Uh, and then we really started started to struggle I mean it was just a very very different spectacle Mm. I it, it did feel different to me as well as a fan like I didn't Feel the dynamics and the emotion of the game to the same extent, but then how? I think how could you?
2: Yeah, right. yeah, true. Okay, well, look, here's a question to kick it off, and we referenced the Mesodosil situation in the first uh, part of the show. Um, eighteen eighty six underscore blog at eighteen eighty six underscore mm-hmm. blog on Twitter uh, says. Should fans know the truth with the Ozil saga or are successive managers right to cover up the issue and cite tactical reasons? And there was obviously a bit of... Um I don't know whether you'd call it um, hilarity or whatever on Twitter, but, you know, it's very similar to what Unai Emery said when he left Mesut Ozil out of the squad. It was for tactical reasons. Nobody believed that that was the case, and I certainly don't believe that that's the case when Mikel Arteta is talking about it. So how do we find the balance between this ongoing, seemingly never-ending uh, saga with with, Mesut o- uh, with Ozil over the last couple of years anyway Mm. with the need to sort of keep things in-house and and do things uh, in a respectful way with Ozil being our highest paid player uh, and the responsibility that that sort of comes with that and the expectation that comes with that. So, you know, where where do you stand on all this?
1: Uh, I can't believe... (laughs) I can't believe we're doing it all again. Um, And, yeah, I absolutely can. I mean... Just as a sidebar, by the way, there are some pretty good tactical reasons that you might leave Mesut Ozil out against Manchester City away from home. Out of the squad um, entirely? Well, that's where that's where I think you encounter some problems. But out of the starting eleven, certainly, mm. I think there would be a really strong case for that. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I think clearly something. Has gone on. Something has changed. Arteta selected him pretty consistently, didn't he? In the Premier League, he was a mainstay in the team. Uh, and something between between the the cease in football and now has changed that. And mm. my understanding is it's something relatively recent, you know, in the last kind of week or so. Um, and I suppose I've always sort of been on the side of the fence that says that Meza Erzl is, you know, is a problematic figure now at this football club, mm. and has been for some time. And, you know, people really didn't like Unai Emery, so when he didn't pick Urzel, it was Emery's fault. Well, then Freddie Umberg didn't pick Urzel, and now Mikel Tata isn't picking Ozil. I mean, some th- at some point, the weight of evidence makes you think, OK, something is really, really an issue here, no?
2: Hmm. Yeah, there is one common denominator, <laughs> you <know.
1: laughs> and you know it's not about talent. I don't think. I think it's about attitude, and I think it's also about this idea that what is Arteta doing? What was his starting lineup? It was a starting lineup for the future, and Özil is absolutely not the future of this team or of this club. He is seeing out his contract. And has been for at least a year now, mm. uh, and it's it is a shame, I think, actually, because while he is completely professionally entitled to take the money that is earned from him, uh, it just feels it just feels unfortunate, doesn't it, that it's kind of played out this way with this intransigence mm. on his side and the club. You know, the club and the coaches seemingly kind of willing to see him go.
2: Yeah. Like, again, like you said it, it's not a question of talent because he is an incredibly gifted football player. You know, mm-hmm. uh, some of the things he can do, the vision that he has. Um you know the ability is there's no question about that for me but it's all to do with the application or the ability to produce and you know we talked about David Luiz being a player in in decline and and making more mistakes because of that I think we're looking at Ozil over the last couple of years you know his output has has declined as well it's gone off a cliff um and I think yeah. you're right as well you know look Emery was a difficult guy for people to get behind and, and certainly he wasn't somebody that I connected with so you could see how, you know, other players and, and uh what have you, they might struggle to connect with him as well. Mm-hmm. But you know, was it was it with Freddie Yumberg that there was the incident when he took Ozil he off in a game and he threw, and he it, threw his, his shell, gloves or it? he kicked his you know, gloves, kicked his gloves okay. away and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, if he's if he's going to behave like that with a guy that he knows is A, a legend of the club, but B, brought in to do a job in a really difficult situation with no help whatsoever. Remember, he had like Per Mertesacker, who's the academy manager to help him, and a goalkeeping Mm -hmm. coach. And that was all Freddie had. You know, if you're a senior player and you're taking responsibility, you know, within your role at the club, that's not the way you behave. So if you're Mm -hmm. going to behave like that, in those circumstances, you know, it probably speaks to, to to much wider problems and if we're seeing them again now with Arteta who was a teammate of Ozil who who tried in the pre lockdown period to to reestablish him, if you like, in terms of playing him regularly in the Premier League. He didn't get a great deal out of him in terms of performance. I think there was one assist, wasn't there, in in the West Ham game. But, you know, Arteta has tried, and here we are again. Here we go again. And ultimately, when we talk about needing to start afresh and to start over and to move on as a football club, as a fan base... I think we've, you know, Ozil is is one of those players who who has to go. And that's not a that's not out of personal dislike of Mesut Ozil or anything like it. You know, I've always said that if we could get the sort of performances that we knew he was capable of out of him, it would be fucking great for us. But uh, Emery couldn't and Freddie didn't have a great deal of time. He couldn't uh, and and still suffered a little bit from from Ozil's um Personality, if you like, and now it looks like it's happening again with Arteta. And, you know, this is a cloud that's hanging over the club and has been hanging over the club more or less since we gave him that contract. Because yeah. literally from the moment we gave him that contract, his output went off the cliff.
1: And that is on the previous... Uh, yes. Yeah, 100%. People running the club. I think Azidis was there at the time. And, uh, you know, I think that was a... A dreadful deal, you know, really mm. has been for Arsenal. And and Ozil is getting old and declining on our time and on our money. And I was kind of struck, you know, I, I think Ozil does a lot of great things off the pitch, certainly. You know, I mean, it's charity work and that sort of stuff. I think I've been a bit cynical about him in some respects in the past. and I And I accept that, you know, he's a good citizen. But his life... And his career is entering a different phase now. And it's, it goes well beyond... It, it's, it's a big thing, you know. There was the story in the break about his contract with Adidas ending. And mm. kind of the Ozil camp's response to that was very much, well, he wants to investigate, you know, managing his own brand and designing his own stuff. And that sounds to me like a player who is very, very clearly thinking about the next period of their life. You know, he he's, I, I just feel that he's someone who is sort of coming. He, he knows, he knows mm. he's coming towards the end of his elite career. Uh, and the problem is it it is going to carry on this situation for another 12 months because I just cannot possibly foresee a situation where he moves on. I really, really can't.
2: Yeah, we had a question there from Jono, who's at Jump, Punch, Kick got to say that quite carefully um, he said I know he didn't play but would you be in favour of the club paying out the last year of Ozil's contract at the end of the season so we can move on from him uh, I enjoyed having him at the club but I think the past is holding us back. I mean, do you think there's any realistic way a that Arsenal could make that happen from a financial point of view or B reach some sort of compromise deal with Ozil? Because like can he yeah. be can he be enjoying any of this? Or does he, you know, is it a case that it just doesn't matter to the extent that he's happy or willing to see out the last 12 months, uh, you know, at a club where he's A, not really needed, not particularly wanted, not necessary. You know, his agent has always talked about how much he loves football, how much he loves playing football. I mean, as much as anything from his own point of view, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be better to rediscover some of that joy somewhere else for a few years and, and, and remind people and maybe even remind himself of what football is? has has done for him and, and what he's brought to football you know when he was when he was one of the top players in Europe
1: maybe maybe but I mean I, I do wonder after what happened with Germany and all that if there's an extent to which meza Erzul's relationship with football is not what it was mm. and th- and that's speculation on my part but I look at a guy who who has at a young age played for Real Madrid arguably the biggest club in the world who at a relatively young age won the World Cup, reached the summit of the game, Mm. sort of achieved everything presumably that he might have dreamt that he would achieve. Yeah. And then went through this very traumatic experience with the German national team. And he's, and he's just in a different place in his life now. You know, he married recently, recently became a father as well. You know, we, we never know to what extent these things might influence, you know, how they feel about their playing career, whether it just becomes a job, whether it just becomes, you know, a means to provide. But I do feel that... I, I wish that hunger was there from him, but I, I'm just not sure it is. And, and I... I, I can't I can't, you know, can't be ang- I can't be too angry at him for that. You know, I kind of I kind of get it.
2: Yeah, I'm not angry, I'm just kind of a little bit bored by yeah, it and I, exasperated I are... by it. You know, I, I just feel like the the contract we gave him is a is a millstone around the neck of the football club. Like we're walking along in chains to a certain extent. And I'm not saying for for even a second that all the things that are wrong with Arsenal have to do with, with Mesut Ozil or giving Mesut Ozil that contract. But it feels like something we need to liberate ourselves from in order to start again.
1: That's very true. You know, that, that sense of Arsenal can't move on until some players move on. That's been true at Arsenal for a really long time. And, and in fairness to... Sanyei and the rest of the gang, I think they've made it pretty clear that they don't really want him around. Um, It may be Arteta is of the same mind. The only thing I would sort of put as like a coder on this is Arteta can set very high standards and is not quick to let people know when they haven't met them. He also... He
2: is quick to let people know, you mean?
1: Sorry, sorry, he is quick, Yeah, exactly. But he is also quick, I think to uh, potentially forgive them and grant a reprieve if he feels it's appropriate.
2: Yeah, you know, fair I,
1: point. Danny Ceballos is the one I always think of, mm. you know, was was criticised for his attitude, etc. And then, you know, as Arteta's put it himself, he trained like an animal and was back in, in the team. Uh, there is a way back potentially for Urzel. But like you, I kind of am a bit sort of exhausted by it. And even if there is a way back, it's only for another 12 months anyway Mm. it's not the future is it
2: no I mean and I think even if you were able to sort of make the case that look having Ozil around for another 12 months we have a you know this talent within the squad we also have this experience that he can bring you know as somebody who can who can help and guide some of the younger players and some of the younger talents within the team if you could make that kind of case it'd be easier to swallow but I'm not sure I'm not sure that's even it. What what are what are the young players learning from Mesut Ozil? You know, I'm sure look again, yeah. like Luis, he's popular. People like him. He seems like a nice guy on the training ground. But if you're if you were looking for a player to provide an example for the young talents that we have at this football club, I don't think he would be it, you know? No. Uh, no,
1: absolutely not. Um Right, let's have another question. I mean uh this one from our Infinity Blog is not messing around. Do we just cut our losses and sell Pepe now?
2: <laughs> um no. No, I don't think so. You don't
1: sell your house at the bottom of the market. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's
2: part of the thinking. Yeah, that's part of my thinking. Like, it would be a really bad time to sell, you know, just from a purely financial perspective, which isn't to say I'm convinced by Pepe the player and Pepe the signing. Um, You know, I think we... If we're going to talk about three managers over the course of the season having doubts about Mesut Ozil, the same is true for Nicolas Pepe. Because,
1: very, very true. Yeah, good point. Emery
2: clearly did and and said it. Freddie did and said it. Uh, Mikel Arteta did and said it. You know, so it hasn't even been private reservations. They've made some of these reservations public. Mm. Um, the fact that he wasn't in the squad last night, the fact that he, or wasn't in the team last night, I guess you could say raises a question mark. The fact that he didn't even get on raises a question mark. Um, The only sort of thing that I would say is that it was his second season at Lille when he really kicked off. So he did have a kind of indifferent first campaign at Lille. Um, It also wasn't a campaign in which Arsenal went fucking down the toilet. As we did under Emery, it wasn't a campaign when we had, a, you know, Leal had a temporary manager. I don't think it wasn't a campaign where <clears throat> they, they hired a, a rookie coach or anything like that. And it certainly wasn't a campaign which stopped for three months because of a worldwide pandemic. So sure. I, I think the more time goes on, the more you can question the wisdom of the deal. But I do still think there's time for it to be put right. And I don't think we have quite enough incontrovertible incontrovertible evidence that this is not going to work out. I mean, I still think there's a chance it could. um, But I mean, again, I'm not going to put a great deal of money on it.
1: No, I think you don't sell now because, A, what do you get? his reputation is worse than it was 12 months ago. The transfer market is certainly deflated compared to what it was 12 months ago. Mm. I think there is pressure on the club to try and make this work. I mean, it's a heavy, heavy price tag round the neck of the people making the decisions on the executive side about transfers if it doesn't work. Um... And one thing that was really clear, actually, in talking to people at Arteta and Emery, is and, and, and Emery made pretty clear himself: the head coach is a part of the process for recruitment, but it is not on them. Do you know what I mean? It's very clearly on the people above. And I think Pepe, it's a, it's a, it's a really fascinating one because again, I mean, we, we can see he's got ability, can't we?
0: Mm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you you definitely can. I mean, you look at some of the goals that he scored, the free kicks. Um, you know, the way we saw him play for Lille. I mean, he came in and was asked to play in a different way at Arsenal. So again, you're looking at the you're looking at the the strategy, the recruitment strategy, if you like. Like why yeah. did we buy this player to fit into a team that does this when he was a player who thrived in a team that did that? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, but there's there's definitely some talent there. But again, it comes down to how Mikel Arteta views it and and where he sees a place for him in his team. I mean, it's not... uh, What's the word I'm looking for here? I'm not blind to the fact that he picked a left-footed player on the right-hand side last night. Mm. But it wasn't Mm. Pepe. Yeah. So...
1: But you know, whatever you may think of Saka being asked to play that position, if you are asking me to pick one of them on form, you know, you do go for Saka. I think. I, I think.
2: Well, I mean, I would probably play Saka on the left.
1: Yeah, so would I. So would I. So which, yeah. But I mean, I tend to, you know, he's he's got this preference, hasn't he, for a on the left. So it's it's uh, yeah, it's a really interesting one, Pepe. I mean, the other thing to say is that. Do you, do you have to give any credence to the idea? I saw some people sort of suggesting a little bit of a conspiracy theory about the team selection that Arteta looked at the two games this week, decided Saturday was the winnable one, and therefore Luis, Pepe, Lacazette would all have played on Saturday and that would be the stronger team. <laughs>
2: I don't know. I mean, we'll find out on, on Saturday. I mean, Luis can't play now uh, because of he's course. got a two-game ban. Um, I right, mean, I, I
1: have one game, I think, left before his contract
2: would expire. Yeah, look, I think however realistic we were about our chances in that game, I don't think Mikel Arteta went to Man City going, well, we're going to get beaten anyway, so I'll just play some players. doesn't make any difference. You know, I think he sent a team out or picked a team that he thought could get some kind of a result against Man City. And of course, his game plan was blown up inside 20 minutes with the two injuries and, you know, the the, the catastrophe uh, that was David Luiz on the night. Mm. Um, but I don't think, like, if he thought Lacazette was a better option for scoring him a goal, he'd have picked him. If he mm. thought Pepe was going to do better against, you know, Mendy uh, on that side, I think he would have picked him. Um, so... You know, this was him returning to his old club. I think it was important for him to try and get a result. So I don't think he just sort of um, picked a team for you know with, with Saturday in mind. Uh, he must have thought about Saturday to an extent, but I do, I just wonder if he thought maybe he could rotate things a little bit differently. Uh, you know, he's been really unfortunate, hasn't he, in in the games that he's managed with us? You know, in terms of how many red cards we've got and how many yeah. players have, have picked up. Injuries. I mean Shaka ended up being stretchered off. I mean he's not the first player under Arteta that's had a you know, looks like a serious injury. I think that's uh, a bad
1: injury. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it looks like it, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, from 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 what I heard it's not, not at all a good one. So he could be out for some time. He's he's definitely been unfortunate. I personally think I don't see it that way. I don't think this was a team that was kind of geared to focus on Saturday at all. Mm. Uh, but there will be rotation in this period, almost certainly. And, you know, I think Pepe probably will get some time. Did he get off the bench yesterday?
2: No. No, he brought on Nelson, Maitland-Niles, and who was the other one?
1: It wasn't Martinelli either, was it? Because we were no. a few questions about that. Um. I forget who the final change was. Don't know. Don't know. I'm trying to Too think many of... subs in the game. Hard to keep track.
2: Yeah. Um what was Lacazette? There you go. Shows what uh, the yes, impact that's right. he made. Uh,
1: by the way, Keir Ramption's just spoken to TalkSport mm. and he said the situation from Arsenal's point of view will be resolved this week. Not just David Luiz's situation. There are several issues within the whole structure that will be resolved.
2: Well, I mean, that's inevitable because there are rules uh, outlined by the Premier League which say by June 23rd, players who are in the situation with with the contracts, like Ceballos, uh, Pablo Marie, um, Suarez, and Luis, have got to be resolved by that point, one way or the other. So this is not like, this is not anything based on last night. This is just what Arsenal have to do anyway. So, Mm, mm.
1: yeah, it's, uh, it's a very, I mean, look, I mean, it'll be a newsworthy few days. Well,
2: let me ask you this. Would you extend Louise to the end of whatever's left of this season? Mm. Would you?
1: So what have we got? We've got Pablo Marie, and we don't know how long he's out. Mm-hmm. And we have to make a decision on extending him anyway. I imagine that will happen. Um, then we've got Mustafi.
2: Mm-hmm. Socrates, who is injured.
1: Socrates, who's got, like a, we think, maybe like a two-week injury.
2: Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of games within two yeah. weeks, you know?
1: Um, some guy called Rob Holding, who mm-hmm. I don't remember really.
2: <laughs> <laughs> And that's uh, it. And that's it. We've got Callum Chambers who's, who's injured. And then you're looking at where, if you have to go further down, you're looking at well, something like... Well, Medley's been yeah. training.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's been training with the squad. I think... Do you know what? I would. I would extend him.
2: I, I, You know, look, I, like I said, I don't think he's got a future. I don't think our future should involve uh, David Luiz. But I think in the very short term, there's not a great deal that we can do. Um... You know, we've got ten games or nine more games and maybe three games in the FA Cup. So, unless he's going to go all in with somebody like Zach Medley, I don't know that we've got much choice in terms of extending Louise until the end of this season. I wouldn't extend Louise beyond that, though.
1: No, I mean, let's have a think about it. So, his contract ends June 30th. When do we expect the season to end?
2: End Um, July, is it? Yeah, um, I guess the end of July. There were some more uh, games announced. Uh, The details of three more games were confirmed. So Wolves on July the 4th, uh, Leicester, Arsenal Leicester on July the 7th, and the North London Derby is on July the 12th. And after that, uh, we've only got three more games. So you're looking at...
1: 26th of July is apparently the end date. Well, there you go. Arsenal-Watford. So... You're looking at a month on top of Louise, 200 grand a week. Um, Is that how much he's on? We think so. We think so. Um, Certainly it's an element of the reporting around his earnings that has not been disputed vociferously. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think it is a fair estimation. So let's say uh, let's say that costs you 800 grand. I mean, it's a lot of money. <laughs> but what else can you do? You can't sign a player.
2: Can't buy a player.
1: So I think if Louise is prepared to do that deal, he might be like, why would I do that deal if I'm not going to get an extension? I might get a cruciate ligament injury in that time, which means I don't get a new deal for next season. I think a lot like Ryan Fraser at Bournemouth, for example, mm. has told Bournemouth, I don't want to I I don't want to sign until the end of the season because I need to look after my future, he's leaving on at Bosman. Um, I think it will cement Louise's uh, <laughs> popular unpopularity, rather, among the Arsenal fans if he takes that choice, but it would be a potential choice. Yeah. Um but if it was in my hands, I would extend it for for four weeks. Yeah. I, I know that um people will find that crazy, maybe, in the light of what we saw last night, but I just look at what else we have and the injuries we've picked up and the chance of picking up more injuries. And I think we might need somebody there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Although I, what I would say is I've got to be careful with wording this, but, but what we know about Louise and I'm sure what some people might've sort of inferred watching last night is when he's not a happy bunny, you know about it Mm. and you know about it on the pitch. Um, you know he was not happy really under unai emery from what we understand and that was reflected in his performances when he, uh, his relationship with the coach deteriorates his performances tend to deteriorate as well so it's only worth keeping him on if some if everything's okay as okay with arteta as he seems to suggest it is
2: yeah i mean he did say the coach is amazing i think that's what he said in his interview i don't said.
1: think his i don't think his beef is with the coach, and I don't. Th- no. Yeah, no. That's that's not my impression. Um, but yeah, I mean, what about this question? Matt, who's at mattster four thousand, says genuinely interested, which is always nice, rather than all those
2: pretending you know, interested pretend people.
1: interested questions we get. What would you go with as starting centre backs for the rest of the season? And then, as a side note, he says, and why wasn't holding on the bench last night? Surely he can't be worse than
2: Louise. It's a good question. Um. Yeah, what would my starting centre backs be? I mean, look, we've only got Mustafi and Holding. It's all we've got for the next game. Mm. That's it, unless we unless we play Zek Medley, which seems like throwing him in at the deep end. Um, Are we down to Mustafi and Holding now? Is that right? Well, Louise is suspended.
1: For yeah, two games because it's his second
2: out. red card of the season. Socrates is out for a couple of weeks, as far as we know. Chambers' long-term injury. Panos
1: um, is out on loan.
2: Yeah, Mavropanis is on loan. Um, and you know, one of the one of the questions we get a lot is, you know, if the season in France is over, can we bring in Saliba? No, no. we can't. He can't play for God. us until next season. Even if so... we
1: recalled him now, we couldn't register. We couldn't yeah. use him. So. so... And, and to be honest, it wouldn't have blown my mind if Arteta had considered dropping Shaka in there. But he can't.
2: what he can, yeah. If Shaka's going to be done for, well, we don't know how long, but if you're going off on a stretcher, uh, unless he's a very, very quick healer, we could be without Shaka for the rest of you know this season. What's left of it? Well, it's a,
1: a big opportunity for Rob Holding because he's not figured, has he, really, no. under Arteta in any meaningful way. And to be left out of the Matchday squad, you know, obviously Ozil dominated Mm. that conversation, but that was not good for Rob Holding either. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, from nowhere, he's going to get a chance. And it's really difficult to make an assessment on him because we haven't really seen him.
2: Yeah, it's true. It's true. But, like, sometimes the door needs to open for a player and he can take that chance and take that opportunity. You know, I think he looks, you know, the few times we've seen him this season, a, like a player who was badly affected by the injury, but also a player who lost a lot of confidence, either physically, mentally, whatever, or or across the board, he looked a lot less confident than he was. And maybe, you know, some time out and everything else might help him, might help him recover. I don't know what choice we have at centre-half now other than Mustafi and Holding. Uh, I saw Mustafi go down injured. I think he was on the receiving end of a uh, hefty enough sort of a tackle and he was injured. There was certainly a scream that went up and I was like, uh-oh, now we've yeah, got yeah, no yeah. central defenders. It was whatsoever. the penalty. Yeah, you know, yeah. so it was like, oh, fuck. Um, but, you know, again, it comes back to this squad building thing. You know, if, if this is what we've got at centre-half, the recruitment at centre-half has been has been really poor, you know? And, and all we can do is hope that Saliba is as real a deal as as we we want him to be. Um, mm. Yeah. I mean, mm. yeah. No pressure. No pressure, Billy. No pressure. Okay, look, I, look, we've got to go because we've been recording for ages and it's a busy day and I know you've got to do things, but just finally, uh, Carl Craiglist, who's at Conroy underscore Bumpus, says... What bleach would you recommend while watching this team? I'm usually a Domestos guy, but I'm interested in the new craft scene, which I like. <laughs> <laughs> Send us your yeah. favorite craft bleaches out there, folks.
1: Uh, I also liked this question uh, from Lukey T at Gunas Talk, who says Do you think David Louise hates trees? Um, <laughs> after Hector Bellerin pledged to plant, uh, what was it, several thousand trees? Tree, 3,000 trees f- for every game. Arsenal win. I mean, Arsenal are now very bad for the environment. And I don't just mean because they flew to Manchester. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah we need some trees guys give us some trees at Brighton we need Saturday. some
2: trees exactly Hector Bellerin can uh, can put down some trees Hectare for us Hector Bellerin that's there lovely there we go alright listen thank you everyone for listening football is back um let's delete this from the hard drive but hopefully you can only delete it after you've listened to this podcast don't delete the podcast don't the delete the podcast just delete that would the game be really annoying exactly do this Again. exactly alright we will what are we doing yeah we'll have one on Monday won't we oh I'll also have another podcast for you tomorrow Tomorrow, given it's regular ArsCast Friday. So we'll put something together for tomorrow. James and I will be here on Monday with an ArsCast Extra following uh, the Brighton Tree uh, Plantation game. Um, so until then, look, folks, take it easy, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.